Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, we're making some content. But before we do that, Buddy, I want to show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um, which is a very weird thing, I guess, for what we're doing right now, because we're not talking about games. We're not even really talking about, like, games-related yeah, stuff. Yeah, nerd, nerd canon stuff, yeah. Yeah, like, normally we're talking about nerd canon shit all the time, right? Um, but this isn't nerd canon shit. This is just... This is, this like, is millennial existential angst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. We're talking about Bo Burnham's Inside. In 2020, Bo Burnham spent basically the year creating his own one-man show, right? His own one-man um, Netflix special which included uh, a bunch of musical numbers, a bunch of camera tricks, all this other stuff, right? Um, and I guess we're I guess we're going to we're going to talk about we're going to talk about all that. But Yeah, so spoilers for it, I guess. It's mostly about the music so it's hard to spoil. Um, yeah, uh, I yeah, what do you uh, uh, Yeah, there's nothing I it, have no idea what, what you can spoil for this, but sure. Um That's a good point. There's like it, it's all it's all in the presentation, right? Um Yeah. The, like the 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 only thing that kind of like pops out to me is like people talk about this like like his other specials were stand up effectively stand up specials right because they were done in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. um, friend of the show uh, Zhao actually thinks that this works format works better for him because he seems to not super interact well with the audience in his stand up specials. Um, it's it's funny because some of the lyrics of the songs indicate that it's harder for him to do his job when he can't get the feedback from the audience like that he can tell that he's being funny. Yeah. Um, Although I think he succeeds pretty marvelously, um, but I actually, wow. I oh, did you roaring, not like this? Roaring praise. I have mixed thoughts. I guess. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll talk about it. I guess in the uh, as as we go on. Mostly, I'm I'm just sort of in in general uncomfortable with people performing in ways that feel. This almost feels like a cringe compilation in the sense of. I get why it's, like, funny or compelling to, like, watch or whatever, but I also feel like it's harmful in a way. Like, I'm almost like, it's like watching someone commit self-harm. I feel like I'm watching Bo Burnham have a nervous breakdown and film it, and I just, like, that is a hard thing for me to really, like, buy into fully, if that makes sense. No, it it, it does. It does. Um, from, from kind of just, like, a artistic point of view the thing that struck that stuck out to me is like i didn't engage with this like i did um like a stand-up special i engaged with it yeah. more like a musical um like i also feel true for me um like I've, I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat which is like it's not like Ooh, interesting it's not truly uh, a musical right it doesn't have like a narrative through line like say hamilton did um although there's there's some very very kind of consistent themes um uh but um yeah uh what was what was the other thing i was gonna say along those lines um but yeah, so like i don't know the, the 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 summary i came up with in my head is is this this special is like if weird al's uhf had a kid in 1990 and it grew up and became way too online <laughs> and irony poisoned uh, we watched uhf actually for the akupara games movie night um which i guess i think is very fair you uhf famously for the folks at home, UHF famously has a bunch of just like cut-in gags that are honestly, I would say, the heart of the movie. Right, like the movie has a plot, it has characters, it has you know rising and falling action, all that normal shit, right? But some of the best stuff about you know this show or this this um, this movie about uh, Weird Al 
getting a UHF TV station, like a local UHF TV station, and just kind of putting on whatever he wants, is they have these cut-in ads, like, the, the one I always think of is Spatula City. Spatula City, right? It's this, you know, it's this ad for a crazy warehouse store that only sells spatulas, apparently. And it's just like, there's a bunch of those, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Spatula City is, is pretty great. Also um, stars a a pre Seinfeld, um, oh, what's it's Kramer? What's what's the, because we talked we talked about Kramer last oh, time God. we cast. What did we say this was? Kevin Richards? Keith no, or something? Michael. What is his name? It's it's Michael something. Um, oh, it's Michael something. I oh, thought I so. Thought it was a K name. Hold on, Kramer. No. <laughs> I'm just gonna put that into Google. Cosmo Kramer, fictional character. Michael Richards. Michael Richards. Wow, yeah. I was way off. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, yeah, but um. I mean, I, I was gonna say like, how many how many weeks can we talk about uh, disgraced actor Michael Richards um, in a, in a row? But yeah, this is he. Um, weirdly, probably a thing that maybe he would have been canceled for if he hadn't been canceled for his like because he plays like a mentally dis- disabled um, janitor yep. who yep. <laughs> sprays a bunch of kids with a fire rough. hose. Let me tell you. Um, I mean, the spraying the kids with the fire hose is pretty great. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no, I mean, it, it is. What's what's the the polite way to call it? It's of its time. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, UHF was late '80s, right? Like it was yeah. way before you know any talk of this political correctness. Whether that is a thing, it's not a thing. It's this or that. You know what I mean? Like it kind of predates almost all of that stuff. It feels like it might yeah. even kind of lives in the before time. Oh right? yeah, it's like right on the cusp of, if not part of, like the the kind of golden age where everybody thought we were at the end of history because the Cold War was yeah. over and everything was great and we didn't have new problems yet. Um, uh, which you know, new problems like COVID nineteen forcing you to stay inside, which is theoretically what the framing device of Inside is, right? Bo Burnham is stuck inside, and he kind of films this one-man show uh, filled with all these musical numbers and these bits. Um, and there's a bunch of them, right? And this is part of my thing. I, I, The thing I liked about Inside was the first half, which I would say is a pretty conventional sort of, like, stand-up special content, just but, like, delivered in a way that's a little more interesting than that, right? Like, it is more... Um, it's almost more like like a like a video essay you would see on YouTube, right? Like this has right. more in, com- in common with contrapoints than it does with John Mulaney, if that makes sense. It it, um, it, it does, and actually that's why I I think I like the first half less. Um, which oh af- really? Wow. Because okay. because right. I think I think the second half has more interesting things to say. So so like the, the the kind of point being is to your point, right? Like this part of this feels like Bo Burnham having a mental breakdown on camera. I maybe controversially think that like the big kind of breakdown moment is is fake like i that doesn't ring as true to me which seems funnily enough very appropriate for what for what it is which is kind of like a takedown of like internet take culture or whatever i entirely agree with that 100 bazillion percent i mean i spend a lot of you know i've been doing these weapon showcase videos for grime or whatever so i understand that man doing it in one take is hard it doesn't really happen you know, and, um, and right. I have a lot of respect for Bo Burnham because he does so much of this stuff in just straight one single takes, right? You know, there's not a lot of editing. There's no jump cutting, which you would expect, right, in, a, like, a YouTube video essay, right? If this was John Green and Hank Green, right, um, there would be all these jump cuts over everything. 
because you just you don't like the way something like that that plays but i feel like bo burnham is actually kind of this perfectionist who's like i'm going to sit down and re-record the whole bit until i get it yeah you know laser precision correct which makes sense because that's also what you know his stand-up is like right his stand-up specials uh what and make happy i think are the two of them there might be a third one but those are the two that are on netflix that i also watched in kind of preparation for this they include a lot of um precise timing jokes with like audio cues or like visual lighting cues or whatever that are just like you can tell like this is a guy who who nails these rehearsals to get it right if that makes sense yeah i actually that's part of why i think it works less well with a live audience because you can't like account for audience laughter in that way right like um but kind of along those lines right like i think the lasting kind of artistic merit of this is this is probably the truest and best capture of kind of like what being stuck inside for years is like 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 the essence of COVID nineteen. I don't know if anybody else has tried to do anything, but it's the only thing that's like kind of captured live that's got any mainstream attention, right? Like yeah, also kind of like weirdly with like the way like like apparently like uh, from what I understand is is the YouTube algorithm doesn't like you talking about it. Um, because there's like such a high probability that you're talking about some bullshit about it that like people avoid talking about it actually. So this is kind of untethered from the, know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, uh, I mean, and I, I don't have hard confirmation of this. This I just know that like YouTubers I watch will, will like dance around it because it's easy to get flagged for misinformation if you know you just talk about it and then you know it because because the automated the automated regulation on YouTube is, is different. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh. Um, I, I think I think it's going to be important in that way, right? Like, you're going to be able to look... Like, if if I wanted to say... Like, if I had, like, uh, a kid or a nephew, right? Like, that I wanted to show... Like, this is what 2020 was kind of like. This is, like, the best thing I could show him to kind of, like, give him that impression, right? Um, but, yeah. Do, do we want to walk through this back to front... Or front to back, I guess? Um, yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah, so the first couple of bits are... They're almost all songs, right? The first one is content... Yeah. Right, um, which is like the intro song. It brand, blends pretty quickly into comedy, um, and then just like a couple of like FaceTime with my mom tonight, uh, white woman's Instagram sexting. These are all in here, and all of these to me read very traditional comedy bits. Right, the, like white woman's Instagram is observational stand-up comedy, like cut to a song and you know, like, like visual aids that are also very funny. Right? Yeah. No, I, and I think, and, and this is, this is the part that, that kind of like sells me. Right. I actually don't quite, I don't love Bo Burnham. Um, I think I also don't love Bo Burnham's other two specials, what and make happy. And they, they were good. And I, I almost admire the technical craft more than I kind of like more than I laugh. Right. Like, it's not like, I agree with that. I, I'm almost more just impressed at how good he is at the comedy than you would expect because I would just laugh if he was good at the comedy, right? Like, um, Curious. And, and I think that that sort of holds true kind of like here, right? These are bits. White women post, you know, kitschy, dumb bullshit on their Instagrams and watching a skinny white guy recreate their poses or whatever over and over again while he's singing this catchy song that's just a good bit right (laughs) it's an excellent like i think white women's instagram might be the best like clip of the whole thing um like because they're all very inventive and they're all kind of like have this kind of like you know 
done on a budget kind of effect, right? Like, like, uh, like I think that there are better songs out there, but like, like the effects in Welcome to the Internet are good, but they're not as like impressive. I think it's White Women's Instagram, which, um, if if you haven't seen it, like you can go watch just that clip on YouTube, and I think it's worth it. Um, I think yeah. it's I think it's a very catchy song, but I think it's definitely worth watching with the visual effect because it, it does really evoke the thing that he's talking about, which is a white woman's Instagram, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, this stuff is all you know toothless at, at the end of the day. You, there's a little bit of it in content, and also a little bit of it in the beginning, I would say, of comedy. But co you know, so comedy is the song that is focused on kind of satirizing like white male comedians and how you know kind of there's this. Um, I don't know. There's this there's this underlying sort of like liberal streak of comedians that thinking that think they can save the world with comedy. This is what he's making fun of, right? The beginning of that bit though, I think is actually very real and he's kind of talking about like himself and his career and kind of like harshly reflecting on it, right? But the back half of that bit I think is pretty, you know, is pretty toothless. FaceTiming with mom is pretty toothless. These are just these are just bits. There's nothing there's not really anything deeper underneath the the scenes here other than kind of like vague like social media is bad posturing. But it, but like not in a bad way, right? Yeah. I'm so not trying to I'm not trying to say that these are bad. They are just not that profound. So I've, I've got a couple of things here. First, I want to know, did, did you follow Bo Burnham like when we were in high school when he was doing his stuff? Because he's like he's like our age, right? Like I'm slightly older yeah, than no, him. No, he is literally our age, right? Yeah, like, I, I'm slightly older than than you. I I think because you know I'm okay. I was I was uh, slightly older for our, for our graduating year, um, but yes. Um, yeah, but like it, we would have gone to school in the same year as Bo Burnham. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, I did not follow any of his shit in high school. The, I really met Bo Burnham. I feel like after college um but did you see any of his youtube stuff right because like that's like yeah. kind of okay so he, he does musical comedy on youtube for like a handful of years before he goes to college i believe i believe he actually went to harvard um but uh he, he does uh musical comedy on youtube which is what he's is playing on the screen during um uh, right before problematic um like he's watching it um happen because like you know some of those songs you know again more of their time Right, like you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that I've actually seen a couple of them because I feel like there was this while where YouTube wasn't a thing where I was paying attention to anything but the viral videos, mm. and they are kind of ethereal in the void. And outside of like, you know, I think of bro comedy or whatever it was called. Um, I'm not familiar. Derek, no, Derek comedy. Oh, Derek, the, we're, we're um, uh, what's his name? Came yeah, like from. we, like Donald Glover, famously came yeah. from Derek comedy, and I remember watching those Derek comedy bits. You know, as as they came up on YouTube, just because somebody was like, "Oh, you gotta watch, you gotta watch this thing. It's so funny or whatever." And I'm sure that happened with Bo Burnham stuff, but I've never like looked into it to remember what any of those bits were. Yeah, no, I mean, I I saw it early and I watched a bunch of it. Like, I he he was a person that when he came, his name came up later for his specials. Um, it caught my attention because it's like, hey, he was a YouTube guy that you know launched, turned it into a real thing, right? Um, yeah. Um, uh, the other thing, too, too, I wanted to talk about kind of in this vein is um, the, the song that you skipped over is also the song that I like the least, which is um, uh, How the World Works. Oh, How the World, the world works. works. I actually like How the World Works quite a lot, but so, so I have... I don't, I don't like How the World Works because, it, to me, it's just kind of like a very tired Twitter take 
Like, it doesn't feel fresh mm. to me. But and the thing I want to say in favor of it is the reason I think I don't like it is because it's such a masterful imitation of the children's song format. Like, this is the thing that I think is, is, the, is the real kind of genius of the special. Is he real? Like, he really nails the styles of every single song. Every single song is in, like, a style, right? Like, one that's recognizable if you yeah. think about it. Like, the Weird Al style parodies, right? Um, uh, and a children's song is meant to convey an idea kind of very simply so a child understands it. And that kind of, like, demeaning attitude is kind of what I, I chafe against in kind of, like, this very kind of, like, very Twitter take, right? Like, and, you know, it's fine for what it is. And, you know, obviously, I, you know, my own opinions aside, like, this is this is a thing that, that's woven through the other songs, too, that doesn't grate in me as much as it does in, in how the world yeah, works. Yeah, no, I, 100%, I'm with you every step of that way. I am just, I don't know, man. I don't want, like, obviously, I don't want to get yeah politics, but I am deeply exhausted by some of these sort of like batshit sort of like Twitter discourse things that happen and they and it's just it it just exhausts me right all it does is drain the life force from me right um in this kind of never ending and never satisfying quest to sort of I don't know I guess I would say identify like the perfect politics um, and, and I feel like that it's, I, I got, I got that same feeling out of how the world works. The thing that I like about how the world works is I just think the bit is funny, right? Like that's fair. in a, in a, just a performance, you know, the way that he talks to this, to the sock, for those of you who aren't watching, but are listening along, how the world works starts as a very simple video or a very, a very simple song about how, oh, well, actually the, the bees carry pollen to the flowers and that's how you get flowers. Would you look at that? Everybody works together. And then Bo Burnham's hand becomes Socko, the sock puppet, who's like, actually, it's just like the conquest of like capitalism and colonialism and, you know, neoliberal fascism and it's all the history written in blood and everyone's exploiting everyone else and right you know it's just like like i said and then a, a very yeah, kind of standard devolves. twitter take yeah and the bit devolves where the first bow yells at the sock puppet and a, like oppresses the sock puppet this is the th part that i think is funny and why i think it's a, just like a good bit right like outside of the sock puppet take just like that confrontation is is pretty is just like I don't know a guy no, yelling I, at his own sock on his hand for having you know a, and demonstrating that the sock is like kind of weirdly correct and like like bullying the sock into then performing the song in harmony with its bully or I just like all that stuff I I thought that was funny but I hated the 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 content of the of the takes themselves. It felt like very touch grass kind of shit. You know what I mean? Yes. No. And, and I, I obviously had a harder time getting past it than you because I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think there's some deeper stuff there too, that I, I really don't want to get yeah, into. I don't but, even yeah. disagree with yeah. a lot of the yeah. politics, right? I just disagree with like, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, which is funny because like, you know, the, the other, there's other songs also going to this, right? Like he's got two, like two versions, I guess, of the same song, which is just like, shouting about Jeffrey Bezos, whose platform we are on right now. Um, yeah. Uh, or I guess not anymore because he left Amazon and whatever, you know. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I'm looking at the Wikipedia thing just so I can get make sure I have the structure right. And it says, he then sings Bezos 1, which satirically praises Jeff Bezos. 
and was that even satire? I mean, like, I think it's sarcastic. I guess I don't think it's satirical. I think he. It's just. It's it's honestly barely even sarcasm. He just kind of sings Jeffrey Bezos's name a lot. No, that's that's the second one. The first one he says, um, uh, what he names it like Gates and he names a couple of billionaires and he says, amateur. He's like. Uh, like he calls them like amateurs or something, and he says like drink their blood and fuck their wives, which I guess you could call satire because I don't think he's actually telling him to do that. Um, uh, yeah, but yes, but yeah. like the first one has a little bit more content than the second one, where he just sings Jeffrey Bezos over again, over and over again. But uh, yeah, and yeah. I and to be honest, I think those are that you know like the Jeffrey Bezos bit. There's also another one in here that I thought was there. Oh, the unpaid intern bit. Um, was that, the, the unpaid intern bit is very good, but it's good because of the back piece of it, where it cuts in the middle of the song, so he can film a reaction video to the to the song that he just sang, right? And then he continues with that line, because, so, okay, to, to set this up for the folks at home, he sings the song, it's maybe a minute, it's maybe less than that, like 45 seconds, called Unpaid Intern, about how it sucks to be unpaid interns, how is unpaid internships legal, whatever, right? Then the song cuts, and he starts a reaction video to the song, right? But at the moment that the song cuts in the first take, it just cycles back again. And he is now reacting to the reaction video. And that loops a couple of times, and uh, and he's reacting to the reaction video of the reaction video of the reaction video that he had recorded like a second earlier. And I just think that whole bit was like, that's the genius shit. That's the, that's the high-level shit that I was there for. It's all in one take. And the thing is, it's all in one take, and it's also perfectly, like, it honestly kind of boggles my mind, because obviously he, he would have had to do a number of different kinds of takes for this, right? Like, he did a take to get the timing right, but in the thing itself, because he's, he's reacting to the reaction, and then it plays the stuff that he just said. There's just like something very surreal about that that I thought was great. Yeah, and I actually, I actually, so I think I think it loops one too many times. Like it started to get on my nerves, but um, uh, but I think that that also helps because like since the song is playing in the background, you get the musical backdrop, which like gives the song a little bit more life than like the you know the whatever 45 seconds that it has to actually live, right? Yep. Um, uh, and I, I think that's actually a thing that's kind of consistent with these songs. They feel like. I want to say like half a verse short, which makes them very bingeable, right? Like they make me want to play them on repeat because I feel like I don't get like, um, I don't get closure out of them, I guess, right? Like this is why I want okay. to listen to them 45 times in a row because they're like, yep. they get like one less repetition than I think a typical pop song does. And I don't know, that that made it very much kind of like earworms for me. But, you know, um, I think, I think, um, I think uh, Unpaid Intern is, is, uh, is kind of like the, the biggest form of that, just because it is cut so so aggressively, um, but yeah. Um, so and then uh, so the other thing I wanted to say. So after this, it goes into sexting, which is a decent song. But it, the, the thing that seemed notable to me about this is it could have been a song that that's not like set in this time. And I want like the thing that makes me think about it is I wonder how many of these songs he was like in some stage of writing before he got you know. Yeah. Locked in a in his room for a year. Yeah, like the, the, the sexting, white woman's Instagram, right? Like, you know, FaceTime with my mom today. These are the kinds of superfluous ones. Sexting, I, I didn't think about, but absolutely is in that in that group. It's kind of the least 
it's just sort of like the least applicable i guess all so i think so the thing okay if i if i put my like you know film critic hat on for a second like i think the through line here is the medium of social media right and how we are interacting with one another on social media which gets explicitly called out later where he kind of um where he, he sort of talks about how you don't need you don't need real people you can just engage with everyone through so, social media so i think that i think that that's what this is sort of like going for but like some of these things are much tighter in than the other right like problematic which is a song about apologizing and sort of satirizing the apologies of people who have to apologize for their problematic past is much closer in to that sort of like theming than white woman's Instagram sexting, which are kind of like very far out in that orbit, I guess I would I would say. And I think over the course of the special, it gets closer and closer to that part at a point where it just, you know, like honestly for like the last 30 minutes, I'm just like not laughing at all. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Go see a fucking therapist. Like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> well, you know what what's I mean? the you can make out of this? Men will literally make an entire Netflix special instead of seeing a therapist. <laughs> instead of seeing a therapist. Yeah. That's exactly what it was like. That's exactly what it was like. And I had the same feeling about Nanette. Did you ever watch Nanette? No, I didn't. I, I haven't. Nanette was, uh, was a Netflix special by a, I think like a, an Australian lesbian comic who both tells a good stand-up special that has a lot of jokes in there that are, like, funny and you laugh at, but is also, like, talking about some, like, deep shit. Hashtag deep shit, right? Um, and not just about, you know, not just about, uh, like, the, the homophobia that she was... A, or, like, the sexism that she's on, like, the receiving end. Like, that's a piece of it, but it's really about the medium of comedy, like, itself, right? And she's commenting a lot on what it means to be a stand-up comic and to kind of, um, to engage with, with it as a medium, which I think, you know, Bo Burnham also does. Yeah, he does that's more the theme of Make Happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does more in his other specials than in here, but it's a very similar sort of thing, right? And, um, and it got to a point in Nanette where I was in a similar spot, but Nanette had sort of primed me better in a certain sense, for the you know like for the lecture i guess you could call it right the first half has a bunch of jokes and they're funny but eventually kind of the lecture comes on and you're just like whatever right you know you feel the injustice of a woman who is persecuted for her sexuality and her gender right um with this there's i do get that th that through line is there right and i and i and i have that empathy for for Bo, who's clearly like self-destructing under the weight of of the isolation and loneliness that comes with right being inside that comes with the you know co quarantine of covid-19 but like it almost breaks the the barrier of you know the medium itself and makes me just be like stop killing yourself in front of a camera i don't want to pay for this you know what i mean like i at a certain point just like seriously like you know go, go fucking yeah no i mean right. and and you know part of part of that is you know how much of it is real right like like i said i think mm -hmm. i think the baker the 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 breakdown is fake as it's recorded but i could see it being a real thing that he said to do a take of so that he could like get that into the in, into the into the movie but like you know that's yeah, like I, I mean i have no doubt that there's a lot of artifice in that piece but but the emotions at play and kind of the experience i feel like is very 
you know, is very authentic. Lou in the chat notes, that's pretty standard for Bo. His specials tend to end on a downer. That's true. Make Happy ends on a big downer. Also, yeah. what I guess also ends on a downer. That's the one where he's like, um, you know, he sings a song about how much he 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 loves the audience but he hates the audience and he fears the audience right this is this is where a lot of parasocial stuff came from right people yeah. watched the special and basically googled parasocial relationships right um yeah i wonder and, if that's gonna uh, happen with um uh like he says something he, he, googling um uh derealization right like if yeah. if, if, that, if that's gonna be like a thing now that everybody talks about because it's it's popular enough um uh, but yeah, so I mean, par part of this too is just kind of like an, an, an eternal discussion about like suffering for your art. How necessary is it? How yep. how much should you encourage or discourage it? Right? Like you know, a lot of art comes out of real human suffering in, in either like documenting real real ways that it happens or like you know the personal demons of some person, right? Like um, uh, like you know the number of writers that were alcoholics or drug addicts of of some sort. Um, uh, you know, and you know, yeah, I mean, even recently, I feel like, um, you know, a good actually, a good example of this might be sort of the cancel culture that surrounded two YouTube I've, two YouTubers I've talked about on the podcast. One is ContraPoints, the other one's Lindsay Ellis. They both got pretty heavily canceled at one point or another, and they both made huge videos about it, right? ContraPoints made a video about called canceling, right? She's like two hours long, things a feature film. And in it, she is she is talking about the abstract sort of what is canceling, what's happening in, in canceling. But she also very specifically talks about what the experience was like for her individually to have been canceled, right? And I've watched that video a, a bunch of times. I think it's great. I think it's insanely insightful. I think it, it probes the depths of our culture and society in a way I have seen few things do. Lindsay Ellis made a similar video when she got canceled called Mask Off. But that video is almost too personal. I watched it once and I'm like, I'm never gonna be able to watch this again. Because I feel it was just too, it was like too real. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I just think that there's something about the, there's something about the, the distance that the creator can hold the audience at that can kind of keep me in this realm of, I am not a rubbernecking person watching a car crash. Right, I'm watching a performance, if that makes sense. Lou also notes in the chat, parasocial shit is the theme of all three specials, of both three specials. It's something he struggled with for years and is a huge part of why he stopped doing comedy for years. Yeah, that's another undercurrent to this, right? He, he, he makes allusions to, over the course of the special, right, that he quit, that he said he quit, and he wasn't going to come back, but he did, right? And eventually it's sort of revealed that he said he was having these panic attacks while he was doing the Make Happy special, and abruptly and he was having these super severe panic attacks on stage and he just cut it he had to he had to stop performing altogether in order to manage that i, I think the best part of that too is that's that's during um all eyes on me right all eyes on me yeah, yeah where what you know it's kind of in the title but he also like he tells it as if he's on stage and he's like faking audience reaction right like like if you just listen to it it sounds like he's doing it live but if you watch it it's him like playing an audience reaction sound yeah. on the computer which you know i think I think is pretty, pretty, pretty well done. And this is like all beneath kind of like very surface level comedy of the video, which is like um, the style of song that it is combined with like that effect where you layer yourself over yourself performing. And he does that like seven times, yeah. which is like very amusing. 
but like that's you know like that, that's why I think that this special is, is is good, right? Like he's got like all these levels of things, but like to your point, right? It's it's the the, the soundtrack to a man spiraling downwards again, right? Like you know according according to him, he had climbed out of this hole by January of 2020, only to be sent back down it because we were all locked inside again. Yeah. yeah. I also feel a little bit weird on a personal level because I had a very easy time with quarantine. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, we're, we're nerds. Like, I, I did too. I, yeah, right? exactly. I'm a nerd. I'm naturally pretty introverted. I, I live with my partner who is, you know, a great kind of emotional support structure, right? A lot of my social life is conducted entirely online through, you know, Discord, World of Warcraft, right? You know, Twitter, right? My my job situation was always remote. So, like, of all people in the world to really understand, like, the horrors of quarantine, I was not going to get there. Just because, like, I wasn't in the trenches in a certain sense. And, um, and in the same way that I could watch a movie about the Holocaust and understand, you know, on an empathetic level, the horrors of the Holocaust. I understand on an empathetic level the horrors of you know, Bo Burnham's isolation and what that did to him mentally and everything like that. But I, I just, I, I feel like, I feel like if I'm a, if I'm a very extroverted party person who's a mid-level marketing guy at some New York firm and I'm used to going out every, you know, every Friday and Saturday night to the, to my favorite bars with my favorite friends, right? And we're going to movies all the time and we're going to see shows or whatever, right? Like, I would really probably connect with Bo much more here than me, Buddy, the naturally introverted guy with a robust support structure that was able to weather quarantine pretty effortlessly uh, was going to be able to connect with this guy. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that. You know, it's, I mean, part of that too is like, you know, the claustrophobia of the shots. Like, even when he shows like the other parts of his apartment, it doesn't seem very large. Um, yeah. And like, you know, that's like, you know, the people who weathered quarantine in their tiny apartments, where essentially you're you're paying too much money for a very small apartment to live in a city where things happen, right? Like the part of that for me that's the reflect is there, I I live in a more rural state and you know I have more, I could go outside, right? Like yeah. and you know not be in any real danger because you know I'm I'm you know in nature <laughs> for the for the most part. But yes, that 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 is that is that is definitely definitely true. Um, okay, I, so I do want to ask a little bit about the music. What was like? What what are what are the bangers in here? What are your favorite songs, just on a uh, musical level? Um, on a musical level, "Welcome to the Internet," okay, uh, "White Women's Instagram," and "All Eyes on Me." I think are my top three. What about you? Interesting. I think w "White Women's Instagram" for sure. I also liked comedy a lot, and maybe "All Eyes on Me." I liked Eliza Mila. Maybe problematic actually would be my. Like, Problematic's also good. Yeah, I. I, I, I actually, you know what it would be? I think it would be comedy, problematic white woman's Instagram. White woman's Instagram is more of an earworm than anything else. Like it's the one that I've been like humming to myself, but but I think on a song level, I liked problematic more because I thought it was. I don't know. I just thought that's. I just thought that song was really good. Yeah, I I think white woman's Instagram. I think I think part of it too is that white woman's Instagram is very elevated by its video. Um, yeah. Like, um, it's hard to divorce some of these things, right? Like, same thing with comedy, to be honest. I mean, the like the thing that made me laugh the hardest, maybe, was in the all of the little bits. There's a ton of these visual gags in comedy, and I watched it through, and then I went back and I paused it. Like, there's one where he has like, a, "Is it funny?" 
Does it punch down? So, you know, so hold, like hold, hold, hold right there because I do want to point out that it's extremely hilarious that two songs later is White Woman's Instagram, which by any like traditional definition <laughs> is pun punching down, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of issues with the term punching down in in general, right? Like, I think the the sort of spirit of the philosophy is more true than the the practicalities of figuring out what that means in any yeah. individual scenario right like, like, like so I'm, I'm try, trying to do like trying to do mathematics to figure out what's punching down doesn't work as well as you as you think but the spirit makes yeah, sense. exactly yeah. right because it's like oh is bo burnham punching down because you know i don't know he's a super rich white guy and he's making fun of randos on instagram who have you know kitschy pithy you know they they they're constantly like re you know resharing kitschy pith, pithy bullshit like yeah, I think you could make that argument, but I also think that Bo, you you could make the argument that Bo is punching up at like a a kind of upper middle class brand of white women that are, you know what I mean? Like, I, you you could argue that both ways, and that's always been true, right? Like, right. You could argue that Black Widow is, you know, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a way. That no, you no, can, I, it, it you makes know. sense because he's like inhabiting the personality of a comic, which is kind of like this starving artist type of yeah. thing, right? Like, even though the, the reality of Bo Burnham is not that, right? Like, you know. Um, and honestly, in kind of the frame of the of the show, right? Like, he is suffering mentally, and the idea is that these people on Instagram are not, right? Like, um, yeah. I think that the middle piece where, you know, he, he kind of very sarcastically digs into this post that this girl makes about her dead mother, which, like, oh, yeah. Rings oh, is really God. sincere, right? Like, like, mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe it's just the music, but, like, that like made me feel very sad, right? Like even though that like it's one, supposed to I thought that I, th I actually did think that was legitimately mean. I remember at the time I was like, I, at the time at first I, I I didn't quite understand the bit that he was going for, but then I realized because it's I think I think the specific the specific kind of uh, thematic underpinning of that moment, right, is how effortlessly this woman on Instagram you know, plunges into and out of a deep personal tragedy, right? Because at first I was like, what is what is this post? What is he what is he getting at? And then the song starts back up on the other hand and you're just like, oh my God, I understand now, right? You're following her posts as she's posting pithy bullshit. Then she has this, you know, legitimately heartfelt, maybe a little bit shallow post about her mom. And then she just goes right back to post, posting pithy bullshit and you're just like, oh my God, like this profound moment of personal tragedy is like, just another in a long line of shallow pithy bullshit in this girl's life and nothing really affects her or and i was just like whoa blah, 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 that's mean <laughs> like, yeah no i mean <laughs> and, you know and and i think kind of like as as a criticism of of social media i think that works because like you know in real time right like maybe that's not as tight as it seems but like if yeah. you're scrolling down her instagram feed right like it's you know two seconds between them, even though there might be, you know, several days between the actual posts that she's posting or whatever. Yeah, not but. to mention that there is an all, there is an, an inner life implied in anyone's, you know, social media. If you were to go to my Twitter, right. right, you know, you don't necessarily see if I have a terrible day and because I, maybe I don't post about it. Maybe I just don't go on fucking Twitter. If you don't, if, if you don't see that I have a spectacular day where my life changes profoundly, but I don't post anything to Twitter. You don't see that, right? So, like, any social media profile has that, you know, that relationship. It's something that people talk about all the time. Um, I don't actually think Bo is talking about this, though, because there is no other side to it, right? All 
the only thing we see is the is the Instagram facade in this song, which is why I think it's kind of so mean. Yeah, I think it is implying that she doesn't have no a rich inner life. I think no, I, mean? I, I I think you're right. I think this is a standard kind of like because because you know, funnily enough, right? Like I think this you know this is he is kind of the arch- archetypical edge lord millennial who gets woke as he turns as he gets older right like like that that is kind of like the through line of this right because like he was kind of edge lordy when he was posting these youtube videos as 14 and then he like you know ages up and realizes that you know he needs to get he needs to he he turns around which he he does satirize with like you say problematic and um and comedy maybe and and in a couple of these songs right um Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of this kind of like you know i am self-reflective and deep and you are shallow um, and you can tell that because you are happy and I am sad and this is how I justify, like, my suffering to myself is that I actually have, you know, some depth to me and you must not. And that, that, that is how I can, you know, justify myself to myself, which, you know, again, this is very much kind of like a go to therapy, touch grass type stuff. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, well, and so, wait, how do we get on this? We were talking about something else. Uh, yeah, we were... The visual bits in comedy—is that where we were coming off? Of? Yes, right. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. so we were talking about like punching up and punching down the flowchart because there's a bunch of these. Right? Yeah, yeah. The thing where he's writing—I <sighs> mean, my my favorite jokes. What, what was your favorite? So, so I think I know the one you're talking about. My my, my favorite was definitely like it's like Malcolm X, Weird Al intersecting to to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, that- I, I like. There's just a bunch of these, like, little... Even just, like, honestly, even just the way... So there's this part where... Cause I, okay, I think part of the way that this song works so well is it unfolds, right? Yeah. The first couple of, you know, you know bars, maybe the first verse, is pretty straight, and you don't quite see the satire yet because it's really laying the groundwork. Um, but then it gets to this point where... He has the pencil in his mouth, a pencil in both ears, and he's the pencil is writing really fast. Right? You're like, okay, I'm kind of being taken for a little bit of a ride. And then he does this weird walk around the room, and just the walk is funny. Like, that's, there's nothing deeper to it than that stupid walk is stupid and funny. Yeah, and, and I think I think the one you were referencing when you were, was, was um, to, or comedy equals time plus tragedy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, Comedy equals time plus tragedy, and then it's uh, tragedy equals nine eleven, and time equals money. Therefore, comedy equals money plus nine (laughs) eleven. It's like that. You know, there's this part where he's writing jokes in the notebook, and one of the jokes is like, "What if a dog vapes?" (laughs) And and you know, the back half of the song is what is what brings it full circle, right? Because he has the line that gets repeated a bunch. It's, um, if your house is on fire and it's filling with smoke, call me and I'll tell you a joke. joke. And the, you know, with the implication there being, how fucking useless is it for someone to think that their jokes matter? It just doesn't fucking matter. If someone's house is burning down, a comedian is not going to save them, right? Um, and, and I think that's, that is just like, mm. It's, it's the perfect kind of capstone because, you know, maybe part of it is that it is so self-aware, you know, but like, I don't know, it just, it just really, it's a full thematic thought 
expressed with a lot of nuance over the course, and there's just like a bunch of a bunch of jokes sprinkled in there. Yeah, so I guess okay, I guess I'm coming down that comedy is maybe is my favorite one. I also think, by the way, problematic is like this. It's just less comprehensive i guess I would yeah say. the thing that was nice about problematic is the the sort of looping back in on itself which i thought was really funny you know the first verse of problematic is he apologizes and then he apologizes for his problematic apology um and it kind of and it kind of follows that a little bit um but it's just not as it's just not as complete a thought as you know yeah comedy was so so what i do want to point out is like and i don't know if it's the best song but I found 30 to be the most personally resonant. Um, you know, turn it, I'm turning 30, right? Like, because um, he turns 30 oh, in the middle yeah, of the special, yeah. right? Like, he, he j- and he starts talking about, you know, like, and he talks about, like, like, of all the things that I could connect with, like, turning 30 and realizing you're not 20 anymore is the thing that I'm most close to connect with. Because I, I watched, I watched this around, like, my 32nd birthday, right? So I'm, like, two yeah. years beyond that even, right? And, like, you know. By his timeline, he would have turned 30 in the middle of making it, and it would have come out, and he's probably turning 31 soon, right? Like, or, you know, within the next six months or so, he was born in 1990, um, which he mentions in the show, or in the, in the song. But, like, it's, it that like, that one, that one hit me, right, in a way that, like, I don't know. It's, I mean. Okay, it's, that one didn't hit me, but it's for a very stupid reason. Okay, here's my thought. How many times did he do the take where he looked at the clock? And it ticked over to midnight. Oh, did he have to reset he, the clock? Yeah, I, I, I. That was all I was thinking about. I was like, okay. "Is this authentic? Is this real? Is he really turning thirty in front of my eyes right now? No, no way. Yeah, Is he? no. Like that was that was it. I could, I, I almost like didn't didn't connect with it on a deeper level just because I was constantly thinking about that moment. There's actually a bit in there that was crazy that I remember thinking about afterwards. Like I had almost absorbed it on this subconscious level, and it like. It exploded like a delayed grenade or something where there's a line in there about how you know he resents his friends because all his friends are having kids yeah well my stupid friends are having stupid children right Right, yeah yeah (laughs) and but i was too busy just obsessing over whether or not i think that was the authentic him turning 30 or if it was staged but like the emotions are real but like are the emotions real is did he think of this bit after he was 30 and he was like god you know it would have been smart for me to film myself turning 30 and that you know i was just like all of those questions were zipping around my head which i don't think is on the special i mean i guess maybe it's on the special a little bit just because like the artifice is on display but i don't think that's on the special at all i think that's just my like obsessive yeah. nature i mean i mean if, 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 if i'm gonna be like super fair about this too right like you know the kids thing applies to both of us but you're like you know you, you're, you're married, right? Like, that's, like, like one of these things that, like, you know, oh, I'm turning 30 and I haven't done, you know, I'm not, I'm not, like, this advanced in life yet, right? Like, you yeah, know, for, for whatever traditional true. definition of that, right? Like, um... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pieces of that. This is, this is, like, the millennial ennui, right? There's a yes. lot of pieces to that. Because, like, it seems like it's, it's one of those things where it's, like, you can have one, but not the other two. It's, like, you can buy your own home, you can have kids, you can be married, Right, we can't have all three, right? You know, like I feel, and so like there's everyone is filled with this envy, right? You are envious of your friends who are settling down to have the family that you want. You're envious of your friends that have the money to afford a house. You're envious of your friends that have the stable relationship. No one is satisfied because nobody has kind of completed the trifecta. 
Try watching that when you're closer to 40 than 30 now. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, the, the, chat. The, the last line of the song is like, you know, in, in 2030, I'll be 40 and I'll kill myself then. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you know, again, go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I think musically is interesting is there is a, so I was paying attention to this because I watched it two times. I was paying attention to this a lot on the second watch through, right? Where is there music that is outside of the specific musical songs? And the only thing I was able to recognize was the kind of, um, I would almost call it like a, like a ragtime rhythm, like the boom, bump, 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 boom, bump, bump, bump of Welcome to the Internet plays under the whole everything. I think it's the fundamental musical motif, and it's part of my supporting evidence for why stuff that is seemingly unrelated, like FaceTime with my mom tonight, or um, uh, sexting are songs, right? Even though they don't really interact with any of the other stuff. And I think it's because, you know, it's all about it's all about the internet. And welcome to the internet is kind of the beating heart of this, you know, of this thing. How how uh, in agreement are you with that, with See, that thesis? That's interesting because, like, I didn't notice that. But the thing I did notice is the one that comes up, I think, more is – or not more, but more prominently is um, – uh, look who's inside again, because it gets a reprisal in the final song, which Windows on the Internet also does, but it's also the backing track to the Let's Play. Um, and I think there's another moment where it comes in too. Like, it's like a... The, oh, interesting. I actually didn't notice that. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's inside. I, I, I noticed it a couple times. Um, uh, also, the thing that bothered me about the Let's Play was just that, like, there is an indie game called Inside, which we talked about on one of these podcasts. I, know. I just, like, couldn't stop thinking about that while I watched it, which I thought was otherwise a pretty clever parody of, of, uh, of like, a Twitch stream. Uh, but, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did not notice. I think, I think Welcome to the Internet is the most musical, and by that I mean the most belonging in a musical. It's like a, like, I've seen people call it a Disney villain theme. To me, it sounds like a show tune. Um, oh, interesting! A Disney villain theme. I don't think it's that, but that's an interesting thought. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, like I said, I think it's more of a show tune. But you know, it's 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 definitely recognizable as a thing that's part of musical film or musical theater, right? Like, um, it's definitely kind of in that vein, rather than being like like the other songs are all like various style parodies of pop songs. Um, interesting. Okay, that's interesting. I hear it now. The the now that you've mentioned it, I do actually also think that "Look Who's Inside Again" is also kind of running throughout the undercurrent of this. And I really keyed into I really keyed into "Welcome to the Internet," but I think that's I don't know. I maybe the Let's Play segment kind of felt the most out of place in a certain sense to me, um, just because I don't think it had a very complete. I don't know, underlying idea, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, but, it's it's kind of very surface. And I think it was just kind of like another way I can do like a popular internet thing in a way that's like vaguely parodic, right? Like while I talk about like my depression essentially, right? Because that's like it, right? Like, you know, he's trapped in a, you know, it's it's him playing himself trapped in a room and crying because he's depressed, right? Like that's, there's not much more than that. And it's very, very surface, but, you know, and it's an internet thing. It's another example of an internet thing that he can talk about, right? Like. You know. Yeah, man, that's interesting. That's really interesting. 
That's really interesting. I, I, it, because this is sort of like a new revelation, I don't have like complete thoughts on it. But yeah, it's maybe. I almost want to. I, I almost think. I think it makes. Okay, I think it makes the special better, by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> because now it's almost feels like those two things are interwoven with one another, which I think is clever, and you know impactful i guess yeah i, I um, honestly my, my hot take is i think the final clip where he like goes outside and the stage laughs and he tries to get back in i think that should have been kind of, i think it should have faded to black on him being naked while it plays the look who's inside again reprise um at the end of uh goodbye oh at the end of goodbye yeah i yeah. like the goodbye song actually just on a musical level I yeah like that song no. a lot. um but uh yeah the thing I think, it, yeah i think you're probably right I think goodbye. I mean, the thing that the thing that was devastating, right? Like the kind of the the emotional thud that maybe doesn't didn't land for me great the first time, but I feel it better thinking about "Look Who's Inside Again" as a more important song in retrospect. Is the part where he talks about how satirically or whatever, right? Like we don't need to go outside. Going outside is the worst, and it sucks. Let's just... Well, outside you know, is I, fake. I the th internet is real, right? Which is... Exactly, right? Yeah. And I was viewing that solely through kind of the lens of welcome to the internet, but I think as this, this kind of nexus point, as this crossroads of both look who's inside again and welcome to the internet as kind of the core defining, like, themes, I think that's really clever and stronger, and I like it much oh, better. You know what? Yeah, that... that that makes a lot of you sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we've both brought half of the this. The funny thing I was thinking this. about with, and I like Welcome to the Internet yeah. a lot. The funny thing about Welcome to the Internet is it reminded me a lot of a ContraPoints bit that I think she might have done in the canceling video. Maybe it was in the cringe video. She did a, she did a video on cringe, which is like maybe also maybe one of like the best things I've ever seen on the internet. Where, you know, she dresses up as like a three ring circus it's either in canceling or cringe, but it's about the performance of it all, right? It's about how the internet plants a camera. It gives everybody the the ability to just, you know, present, to perform at all times, right? Um, and it turns the whole world into this, like, three-ring circus, which is what I love so much about Welcome to the Internet's musical identity as this kind of, like, you know, it, it feels like a... Um, it, the the thought in my head was a was oh gurney you know like or, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it's just like it's like it's like vaudeville right yeah, you know? yeah it's like that kind of um that kind of performance which in context feels very right for the way that i think a lot of people do interact with the internet which is in this kind of like not polished you know uh sort of base level compared to something like you know like a marvel movie or whatever which is very high on artifice low on authenticity right the internet is the opposite of that it's high right. on authenticity low on artifice um and and welcome to the internet kind of like it just made it it just makes the whole thing feel like a sideshow which just mm, that, that hit me where i live i guess yeah i mean hey we, we've been doing this for six years <laughs> Um, or almost six years oh to like you know, basically no audience other than you know our our, our friends. Yeah, other than <laughs> our very good friends, who are very happy that all of you are listening <laughs> and, and participating. Thank you for commenting, Lou. <laughs> uh, no, I mean like, but that's that's simply very real anxiety. Yeah. I think that's a, that's one of the most real anxieties that millennials feel because in a way, um, 
we weren't really trained. So, okay, so when I think about the way that my younger sister interacts with the internet, you know, she's like five, six, no, she's more than that, seven years younger than me, right? She grew up in a world where everybody had Facebook in, like, their adolescence, right? Like, as 10, 10-year-olds, right? They were getting, they were they were engaging yeah. with social media. We're the bridge generation, stuff. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the thing is, like, we kind of grew into it. And I do have a lot of the same anxieties that I think, like, my dad would articulate of, well, I don't want, I don't want strangers on the internet following me on Twitter. You know, I don't want them to read, why would I post that? You know what I mean? Like, that's a, that's a thought that's like a, a my dad thought. But it's a thought that I have all the time, right? Where, you know, I go to Twitter, I'm, I'm typing out a hot take, and I just go, I don't want to tweet this, and I, and I delete it. I feel like the sister in me is the person who tweets everything, right? Who doesn't shut the fuck up on social media, um, and that's like a. I feel like that's like a like a legitimate sort of like feeling of ennui uh, among millennials or whatever, right? Yeah, like there is that nervousness to put yourself out there because it is kind of this blank void, and at any individual moment, right? You know, it could. Hey, it could go great for you. Maybe you go viral and get a, a whatever a book deal on your stupid thing that you did or maybe you get you know canceled into the ground and your life is a living hell for however long that takes yeah I, I, yeah no i i absolutely agree I, I also wonder how much this plays into kind of like I, I i don't know about you but i know that like a lot of kind of like my youth but there was like a lot of stranger danger type messaging right which yep. like you know boomer humor is like you know uh i i don't want to use i uh like like boomer humor is like you know you know, oh, you can't swipe on the magazine or whatever, right? I feel like the equivalent of that for us will be kind of like, like, which is a joke that I, that I heard that I laughed at, which is like, you know, when we were kids, it was like, don't get to the car, get into the car with strangers. Nowadays, it's like, hit the app on your phone and get into a car with a stranger, right? Like, which is... <laughs> That's a good bit. Right, that but is it, it is, but like, you can see that like the, the, the tired, boulderized version of that in... 40 years when we're all old, maybe not 40 years. Oh, I'm I turned 30, right? Like maybe this isn't like 20 years, right? Like it's like, you know, like the boomer humor version of that for us is yeah. going to be like a, a, you know, our equivalent of Ben Garrison making that, that same type of comic, right? Like, um, uh, that's like going to slowly lose. It's funny, but still be amusing to us. Cause that's like our sensibility. And you know, like the younger generation is just like not going to get why we, why, why would you hide yourself like that? Right? Like, I, I think, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> Boy, Bo Burnham's inside really bringing out the meat, the meat and potatoes of this yeah. podcast. And here I thought we were just going to talk about more Young Justice, which I'm so fucking excited to talk about. Season two of Young Justice, which is probably next week if anybody wants to keep up. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, is there anything else you want to talk about, Bo Burnham's inside, before we move on? I don't think so. The only song I think we skipped over is That Funny Feeling, which is one that, like, I don't know. Like, oh, what what's that song about? Okay, it's know. about the world ending, effectively, right? Like, which is a little bit too dystopic for me. Like, in terms of like, it, it feels like a he, like a step too far. It's also like, I think the least memorable song on the soundtrack. But, um, oh, what the big line is oh, like twenty thousand years of this, seven more to go. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> and it's just all kind of about like the world's about to end, which I don't know doesn't it doesn't ring as true as some of the other stuff, even in like a parodical way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I almost think it dips his toe into this weird nihilism that I, yeah. I don't know. 
That 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 song kind of washed over me. Yeah, uh, the other two, I, I'm missing a couple. We all, there's also like "Feel Like Shit," which I think is clever as a song, but like, you know, empty otherwise, right? Like I think I think the bit where he does like "Ladies and Guys," like yeah, I feel like shit. Like I think that's fun and clever, but it's not much. And then um, uh, "Don't Want to Know," um, which I think actually kind of taps to this thing you're talking about, right? Like you know, like how are you feeling? I don't want to know, right? Like that's kind of like what you're talking about. It's like why would I tweet this? Which is like a millennial sensibility, yeah. but yeah. I think that that anxiety is absolutely there. I like don't want to know pretty good, pretty much. I mean, that's right after sort of there's a break, right? Yeah, it is the first song after the break. Um, so it's a nice, you know, kind of introduction back into back into everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those are the those are the only things that I, I, I oh, the only other thing I want to talk about that, that I thought was clever was um, and I don't know how cl clever this is is like you know he obviously doesn't get his hair cut or shave over the course of him filming this you can see him age throughout this which you don't kind of notice or at least I didn't until he the first take of goodbye is him originally with the short yeah, hair. Yeah, I did notice that. That was also when I noticed it. I w I didn't get it at first, but then I saw the first take of goodbye and I was like, "Oh shit. Yeah. This is old. This is the bow from the beginning the bow from the beginning of the special." Which sort of helped me kind of string the whole, you know, like the whole thing together. Um which I thought was which I thought was cool and I thought was uh, I thought was clever. I also just really want to I don't have anything more complex to say here, but I do think that for a one-man show in this room he did a an amazing job i will agree just, yeah you know like the the beginning of content includes him with this you know this spotlight on his forehead and um he slowly brings it up into a disco ball or whatever and there's just tons of that shit all over this special that is just really really well done there's one song um and i can't remember what it is but there's one song where he's singing and he has foot pedals that's dirty for i think the lights is that, yeah, that's 30? Okay. And, and he has foot pedals for kind of the lights, and he's swapping in and around the mood. And I just thought all of that stuff was all, it was just yeah. like great, on like a technical craft level, right? Um, Welcome to the internet has a lot of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like this very slow zoom in and out that speeds up with the with the tempo of the song and you know and yeah. the spinning lights. There's he... also a little bit of this with, you know, the aspect ratios, right? Uh, for FaceTime with my mom, which is sort of like an r&b song i guess i would call it right like it it has that long intro where the, the screen is cutting in until you get to a phone aspect ratio and then um white woman's instagram the same sort of thing happens for white girls white woman's instagram when it goes to a square aspect ratio um which like you know it it isn't really more notable other than it happened and it just is in service to all this other shit that we've been talking about but i appreciate the craft of it, right? Of the cinematography and the lighting in in all of this stuff, I think that that was great. I want to call that out before we move on. I, I do want to agree. I want to. So it's a shame because it doesn't work the way it's a, like it's supposed to. But the night after the first time I, I watched, uh, welcome, or I watched Inside twice. Uh, the night after the first time I watched it, I went and watched White Woman's Instagram again on YouTube. But it was dark, and I was in my room. I was watching on my phone, and I had the phone in in portrait. But because it was so dark. Once, like, it cuts in, it looks like you're looking at, like, an Instagram post, right? Like, it looks perfect, right? Like, if you're looking at it, but oh, you don't, but it only works if you've got it, if you've got your phone sideways, because yeah. if you've got it vertically, then it's, then YouTube doesn't play it right, but, um, right. but yeah, no, it, it, like, watching it on your phone fitted so that it's, like, the only thing that appears on your phone makes it look like you're watching Instagram, which I think enhances the experience to it, to an, uh, to a, to a, to an extent, but yeah, yep, yep. Okay, well, how was your week? Tell me all about it. 
Uh, it was pretty good. Um, I played some Guilty Gear Strife. I moved to the PC because there's less like input lag. Um, I pretty quickly climbed to where I was, and then I dropped down a little bit because I think the killers play more on weekends. Um, and I'm not particularly good, but I'm okay. Um, <laughs> the PvP mantra, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I am... The one thing that I will that I am I am proud of, I guess, is that I I am I have avoided the scrub mindset fairly well, right? Like you know, my my losses are my own; they are not because the opponent is cheap or you know, right? Um, I I would not be quoted quoted on scrub quotes scrub quotes. Um, what did I do otherwise? I feel that I feel that for sure. I, is that a, is that like a growing up thing? I I was constantly not doing that for League of Legends, and honestly, even to this day, I would insist that I was correct actually about like a lot of dumb arguments, right? That I would have had for League of Legends. But it's funny because like you know, if I think of um, if I think of like Mythics that I'm running now, right, which is sort of like the most competitive content that I'm running. Anytime we ever fail a Mythic, especially because it's against a computer, right, it is always you know. Ah, we we fucked up this pull. We, you know, we should have double pulled. We were we took too long. We did this. We did that. Right, and and that's like a kind of good feeling, outside of a PvP context, because I never have that feeling of humiliation that makes me mad. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think you've identified like you know it's easier to do with PVE right because it's kind of an objective opponent and it's easier I think to do with one v one PvP. Because you you yeah. always only have yourself to blame, right? Like that's true. That's true for Hearthstone, right? When I was playing a lot of Hearthstone, I can never blame my jungler. You know, I can never say, "Oh, we got we got ganked, and I never got any support from the you know or whatever," yeah. right? Like nobody fed top lane to to lead to me losing, you know, to, yeah. to lead to me losing the game. So yeah, and and a lot of the scrub mindset and like in these kind of situations are like blaming the mechanics, right? Like you know, oh that deck is 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 unfair um and then you, you that progresses to your opponent right like you know oh you're using a cheap like the, the big one in guilty gear strive is using soul bad guy who's like the he's the main character but he's also very very strong he's like pretty obviously top tier not not unbeatably so but he he very clearly is um like he gets a lot of like soul players get a lot of hate right in addition to like the standard kind of fighting game things like oh, throws are cheap oh, you know that that kind of thing yeah um <laughs> Um, or, you know, blaming your opponent for, like, you know, like in the Hearthstone example, it'd be like, oh, you're, use, you're using a brain deck deck and you're being carried by your deck because you have no skill, right? Like, you know, like, well, you lost, so who cares, right? Like, uh, yeah. um, that's that's my favorite scrub quotes appellation, right? It's like, they'll quote the person being a scrub and they'll say, dash, guy who lost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, otherwise, what did I do? I, I watched... Um, I watched Young Justice season two because I wasn't sure which one we were doing today, uh, which is fun. Oh, did you finish it? Yeah. Um, uh, wow. You you can so I've been I've been feeding Buddy my stream of consciousness as I'm watching it, and you can tell when I'm more drawn into it because I stop tweeting my random or you know effectively tweeting my random <laughs> thoughts at you. Um, oh, uh, yeah. I'm I'm very excited to continue. I've been I've been like watching Young Justice and Better Call Saul kind of back and forth a lot. Um, mostly, I don't really know why. I just Better Call Saul is so good. God, it's so good. There's just like so many little things in that show that I, I, I like the magic of a good TV show is so hard to like really talk about, but it, but it's there and, um, I don't know. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been doing that. I've also been playing Total War Warhammer 2, the new Total, the new Total War Warhammer 2 DLC came out, um, 
which is the final one. It is the end. We are at the end of Total War Warhammer 2 after a gazillion lord packs and everything else. And the final two lords are Torox the Brass Bull and a rework of the Beastman and Ashiatl the uh, something something. He's a lizardman like chameleon skink who um, who sneaks around. Uh, and they both just have great mechanics. There's a ton of you know reworked stuff that comes into it. The 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 dwarves got a pretty expansive rework, um, which was interesting. Like one of the things about uh, Total War Warhammer Two is that over time the the reworks of previous factions got more and more kind of complex and involved. Right at first it was the dwarves who just got a very minor you know crafting system that was their upgrade. Then you have this whole system with bloodlines, um, which kicks in for the vampire counts. Then you have this whole system with the elector counts and, and the empire or whatever. And, um, and over time, you look back at that very first set of DLC that includes like the dwarves, and it's like, boy, the dwarves got nothing. Um, and we were all pretty sure they were going to just continue to have nothing at all, right? They, we were going to go into Total War Warhammer 3 and the dwarves were just going to kind of be a little bit lame because they just happened to be first in line. Like, they were most complete at the time, but now they are sort of outdated. Um, so, they, including a pretty substantial rework of dwarves and dwarf mechanic, mechanics was a nice surprise. Another nice surprise was the addition of Ogre Mercenaries, which... Um, has been honestly a little bit weird and contentious ogres are a faction in the warhammer universe um but they are a problematic faction because their base unit is a monstrous infantry right this gigantic called you know like they're called man eaters right this gigantic ogre who is definitionally large and so there was this lingering question of how is ca gonna handle gonna handle that right um, there are a lot of different, you know, like there are a lot of different races that have a lot of different specializations. So for instance, the wood elves have this specialization on missile infantry and so do the vampire counts, right? Um, but, or the vampire coast, but the vampire coast specialization of missile infantry is pirates. So it's gunpowder weapons, right? Um, whereas the elves are archers and, uh, and include, right? Like fast moving archers that can ambush from the forest that are, you know, that can fire while moving, whereas the, you know, the power of the Vampire Coast line comes from, you know, essentially zombies wielding cannons, shooting just incredibly powerful line attack gun gunpowder weapons. And you can kind of, and you can kind of see how, like, their whole roster is built around this core concept of, hey, let's take, you know, gunpowder weapons and make it the core theme of this roster with whatever else supporting stuff that there is. And I was interested in a version of Ogres which said, let's say the core of your roster is monstrous infantry. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with getting absolutely gobsmacked by a line of space experiment? Because all base experiment have anti-large just as like their, you know, their default state or whatever. Um, and CA has instead decided to sidestep the issue by saying, you know what? we're not going to do a full army for the ogres. What we're going to do is we're going to say every once in a while around the map, a little camp pops up. This is an ogre camp. If you bring your army to that camp, you can recruit some ogres. Any, you know, like anybody can do this, right? Lizardmen, chaos, you know, dwarfs, uh, greenskins, whoever, right? You can just pick up a couple of ogres for your army, which has made for some interesting stuff that is not normally feasible. So for instance, uh, dwarves famously don't have any cavalry, right? They have 
powerful artillery, powerful ranged line. They're all heavily armored. They all have high leadership, right? But there is nothing like a charging. You know, they have nothing to do uh, like cycle charges with. They can't. Have, they can never do a handful, uh, a hammer and anvil tactic just because they have no cavalry whatsoever. If you go to an ogre camp, you can get what are called Mornfang cavalry, which is a big monstrous. You know, it's ogres on these dog boar things just like they're just like big things or whatever well now all of a sudden you have a dwarf army with cavalry is it good that dwarves can now cover this weakness of theirs or is it bad because now you can kind of um round up yeah 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 i don't know people people in the community are talking about it uh the big thing really is the beastman rework which has made beastman insanely cool and very fun uh, the main mechanic is what are what are called the herdstones and bloodgrounds. Basically, as beastmen, you know, you're running around as as a horde, and when you attack a settlement, you can raise a herdstone in that settlement, which sort of marks the surrounding area as like your territory, and the battles you fight and the settlements you destroy, you raise, you sack, you whatever, right? Um, they contribute to an overall, you know, like ruin. It's like it's a it's called marks of ruination right um eventually you decide to do a ritual at the at the herdstone you lock off this blood ground forever nobody can settle in it or anything anymore and uh and you get a bunch of stuff that is like good for for the future which is a pretty sweet pretty sweet mechanic for the beastmen right um famously the new the new lord torox has a mechanic called momentum that gives him points that he can then spend to reset his movement points for for the turn so something that you can do is fight just dozens and dozens of battles in a single turn because you're just constantly resetting Torox's movement, running to a new army, fighting a new battle, getting a new point of rampage, and just go and go, or a momentum rather. You just go and go and go and go and go and go and go. Um, some of the big Total War YouTubers um, just had these obscenely long turns. Uh, there was one with Legend of Total War who did, um, it was like 27 battles over the course of a single turn that whole turn took three and a half hours and torox was almost max level by the end of it um and it's just you know it's funny it's super broken but it's like broken in a cool way in the way that it feels good to like if you're in a check a checkers match where you do the hop 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 right that kind of thing so i don't know there you go that's that's the that's your latest total war warhammer update i guess fair enough fair enough um you want to talk about WoW stuff at all? I guess, I mean, we probably should, right? It's a huge deal. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, the bigger Blizzard Activision stuff, I guess. Uh, yeah, so for anybody who's been living under a rock, um, the state of California brought a um, discrimination lawsuit against Activision Blizzard, basically saying that uh, they treat women employees terribly, including sexual harassment, including not getting paid as much as their male counterparts, including being passed over for promotion in favor of their male counterparts. There's a ton of stuff in this. It's been huge news over the past couple of days. Tons of people are boycotting Blizzard games, and man, God, like, there's, there's just so much to this. I, a couple of statements have been released. The statements from the Blizzard side of Activision have been, they kind of range from, like, okay to bad, in my opinion. Um... And then the Activision side have released statements that are truly deranged, and I am like, what the actual fuck? 
<laughs> oh, it, it, which which statement is this? Because I haven't been following all of like the the, the back. Okay, and forth. so the very first statement. Well, okay, so do should we should we stake our personal claims here? Does that matter? Uh, I mean, so I'm I'm. You and I have done the same thing, I think, right? We both canceled our subscriptions, right? Yeah. I, so my my subscription renewed in July. It will expire in October because I do it on three month uh, renewals, and I put in the in the comment box. Um, that uh, I'm troubled by the lawsuit, and I will be reevaluating in October when it uh, when it rolls over, right? Because I, I am kind of like a very much like let's see how this plays out, right? Like, um, Cal the state of California is not above using things like like. Um, so if if you look at the legal like so, uh, I will link in in the show notes to to a legal analysis, and like the stronger case by far is about the discrimination parts, like the individual sexual harassment kind of bits are a little bit less strong they're like much more shocking right um and i actually think i have a problem with with the kind of like the like there, there is a female employee who who committed suicide um and the state of california puts this on the toxic work culture and i don't think that that's clear at all um and i think that that's i think that's kind of like my my read is that some of this was put in there to gin up the kind of attention that that's been gotten here um because yeah. no one wants us to go to a law like the, the, the sad reality is, is this will probably be settled because it is too expensive to become a lawsuit unless somebody at Blizzard gets angry enough that they want to play, I don't know, man. play it out. I, it, so, it, it might be there, yeah, right? Like you said, some of these statements yeah. are like very like not well-tuned for PR is I think the 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 nicest way to put it. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, so I guess, so I, I've also canceled my subscription. I canceled, I renewed in July. You know, my, my I have a six-month rolling sub. I've had a six-month rolling sub since Legion. You know, basically, once I realized that WoW is a game that I'm just always going to be playing on the back burner, I just moved to six months up. I've been doing that since Legion. It renewed in July, so it's it's ticking over, like, January of next year or something like that, right? Uh, and I also put in the comment, I was like, this lawsuit, you know, I, I, I need to see some form of improvement based on this, right? Like, that's how, theoretically, Blizzard retains me as a customer. Mostly, this is just a point of protest on my part, right? Right. Like, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was like, someone's going to walk into a room, you know, somebody's going to walk into, like, a meeting room at Activision headquarters and say, we lost 250,000 subs because of the lawsuit, right? I want to be a part of that number. I think that that's important. I think that that's probably the most impactful thing that I can do is be a part of that number, whether or not I, you know, I'm going to keep playing WoW while I still have my sub rolling. Um, and and then obviously reevaluate based on whatever happens in the last six months. But the thing that really got me to cancel my subscription was the response to the initial article of the lawsuit going, of the complaint being filed, right? Which was published in Bloomberg and then the response got sent to Jason Schreier or somebody like that. I think it was Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. And the response was like, this is overzealous, you know, state employees. The, the claims made in here are distorted. They're false. They're old. Just like truly like very fighting tooth and nail against everything in that lawsuit. And I just like, I cannot get behind that. That is a, that is so far from the truth. <laughs> well, I mean, I so, so that I just like couldn't deal. See, see, that, that's that's the thing to me, right? Like, it's like I don't know if it's far from the truth or not, right? And like, I I can't know. I'm not inside a Blizzard. Maybe you've got more insight than I do because you work in the industry. Yeah, I mean, part of this is that uh, you know, obviously, I've been working in Southern, like, literally SoCal game development, right? And as far as I'm concerned, this is not shocking, right? You know, maybe it's shocking, but it's not like like I'm surprised, right? Because 
everywhere I have ever worked, which has never included Blizzard, has had a zillion stuff like this. You know, like, every one of these stories I feel like I've read, I have heard or participated in or seen some version of this, uh, you know, like, just across the board. I think this, this is just endemic to the culture of, you know, I guess to be specific, right, maybe SoCal... So, development, but I, so, I, but but to to, to, to what extent? Like so, to to me, the thing here is like if they covered up any particular incident and didn't do it right, or like it didn't deal with it properly, right? Because at mm -hmm. some at some scale, right, like you can't help but ending up hiring a dickwad at some point, and yeah. the 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 kind of way you you should be judged, at least in my opinion, is like when something happens, how do you deal with it? And if the- Yeah, no, notoriously, I think it is hard to fire people. And I think people in game development, I have seen people stay on longer than they are good at their job, just because the company is so squeamish about actually pulling the trigger on firing people. This is also kind of corroborated on Twitter. A bunch of people have said that, right? Like um, one, I, I can't remember who it was. I guess I won't quote any names, but someone who was a, a, an employee was kind of asked the question like, why, how did it come to this? And she was like, it's actually nothing malicious. It's just that, you know, Blizzard as, as an institution has a very hard time firing people. They just kind of tend to shunt people to the side and hope they leave on their own, which is not a great way to get a toxic person out of your, you know, like out of your company, right? They just kind of tend to linger there and keep causing incidents until you finally, you know, pull the trigger or whatever. And that is absolutely in keeping with my understanding of games development, right? Yeah, I, um, I think I think I, that's true at a lot of institutions, especially like when it's yeah. like, what I'll, for lack of a better term, called low-level toxicity, right? Like, you know, um, in my line of work, right, like somebody not producing enough, you know, like like not, not doing enough work essentially, right? Like, um, you know, you're given a lot of chances to, to prove yourself, which is very beneficial, right? Like if you're if you're yep. in a position where like maybe you just have a bad quarter or whatever um, for, for, for whatever reason. Um, but also like there's a lot of, like there's a lot, like, like you said, there's a lot of kind of, I think, institutional... Um, just kind of like hesitancy to, to throw someone out because I mean, in some ways there's like, you know, you open yourself up to a wrongful termination suit, right? You just like yep. try and make it unbearable for the person so they leave themselves. Theoretically, this is supposed to be the advantage of like an at-will employment state, which California is, right? Like that you can fire someone yep. with, with no reason what, whatsoever. Um, uh, you know, um, if, if, I, if I really want to dig into this, like um, I am kind of baffled by like the calls I've seen in response, like this is why we need unionization and like, Frankly, unionization would make firing people harder, um, just because like that—that's like the—that that is the purpose of a union, right? Is to keep people from being fired. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I could go into more detail here, but I, I don't think that's within the uh, the the the, um, the kind of scope of this yeah, podcast. Yeah. So, like from my perspective, this is all very yeah. real. And I, and by the way, I think the other piece of this is drinking. This I I tweeted this the other day, right? Like part of this, you know, frat boy culture that gets named in the suit is an upside i like i honestly don't know how to no, how to, no i mean how to, it is literally an upside it is part of the appeal right that you're gonna go to work and you're gonna hang out with people that are friendly and that you're friends with right um and after work you're gonna go to the bar and you're gonna talk about whatever and you're gonna do this and your company events are gonna have a lot of booze you're gonna have an open bar people are gonna get wasted right like that is insanely common right as far as i've seen you know oh, yeah. i i love a lot you know like i and i don't want to understate the darkness of that because it is truly dark, right? But it's kind of a, it's just sort of like the, 
it is the it is the dark side of the moon of that piece of the culture. If you want a world in which after after your shift everybody goes to the bar and gets wasted together, right? If that's fun and that is a part of the culture, that introduces a lot of really fucked up situations where somebody gets wasted and destroys a boundary that otherwise would not have been kind of erected, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, and, and the other the other side of that coin too is like sometimes those boundaries get pushed and it's not a problem, right? Like they're they're yeah. you know like what was I was I was actually talking to my brother about this. Like I, I so for the first time in a long time I commuted to work. Um, and driving home was miserable. Traffic is terrible. Um, uh, I, I work out of uh, out of uh, Cambridge, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and just driving home to New Hampshire was was miserable. And I was talking to my brother about it. He's like, "This is you know." He was talking to one of his friends. I was like, "This is this is how work affairs happen, right? Like, you don't want to drive in traffic, so instead, after work, you go to the bar and you get to know somebody, and you know, it's there's, there's you know, there's like a mutual connection there, right? Like." Yeah, it, it happens. I mean, you right? know, people people start dating at their jobs, right? You know, especially also a thing you probably shouldn't do. Overtime, <laughs> right? Well, like overtime is a thing, right? And the company's going to order pizzas for everybody because we're all working mandatory overtime to do, yeah. you know, like this or that. And so now I'm spending twelve hours a day, and I'm memeing with people across whatever, you know, like these barriers get broken down all the time, right? And when I think about, you know, like so, uh, so Rachel. You know, Rachel's job completely unrelated from game development, you know. Um, she just doesn't have that sort of relationship with her coworkers. And her coworkers don't seem to have that relationship with each other, right? They have a very kind of uh, clean, sterile, corporate, right, relationship with one another, which I I think prevents a lot of this stuff from kind of festering. I think it's bad, and I think it's also uniquely bad at Blizzard in a bunch of ways that are, you know, like, on, on top of this, right? You know, obviously, the HR department is not drunk when they choose not to fire somebody who has had a bunch of sexual harassment campaign. You know, it's right. like, like, that's not on alcohol, right? Um, but I do think that that's a pretty big, you know, a pretty big undercurrent to all of this stuff, which is just like, yeah, basically every, any industry event you're going to, any after party, it's just everybody's going to be swimming in booze the entire time. And I feel like that, um, you know, that's just dangerous. That is that is a, a dangerous sort of like ecosystem yeah. to be working in. And it is a breeding ground for these kinds of predators, right, uh, to, to have bad shit happen. Anyway, I was explaining this. So, uh, so the very first thing Activision says is, you know, this is bullshit. It's distorted. They specifically called it out how the yeah, it's like it's the Department of Fair Enforcement and Housing, right? DFEH, I think, um, <clears throat> who who issued the lawsuit. How this is like an unaccountable state body that you know answers to no one. They're these like bureaucrats or whatever. It's just like that was the initial response. Then Jay Allen Brack, who's the president of Blizzard, sent an email that I think was honestly just weird. But it was bad. It didn't really do much. It was just kind of like, hey, I'm listening to these things. He mentions Gloria Steinem. And it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, so, so a, lot of, a lot of this to me, just, just to be fair about it, is like there's a lot of stuff that you do as an organization to like limit yourself to like legal liability, right? Like you, J. Allen Brack cannot come out and say, you know, like, you know, I, I, you know, we accept full responsibility for all that because that's like disastrous from like a like just like a pure corporate governance level, right? Like that op sure. that potentially opens up. I believe that potentially opens up to him like some sort of like 
malfeasance oh, thing. Oh, like personal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, then Mike Morheim did one where he was like, hey, we failed you. Chris Metzen said something very similar. I think all of these statements have sucked generally. Um, <clears throat> and then... Uh, uh, and then Fran Townsend, who is a woman in like the high end of Activision, um, who's been working at the company for four months, sent an internal email basically saying that this was all bullshit. Like kind of what the first this, it was like, this is all bullshit. It's just fuck you know like like we're gonna fight against this or whatever. Apparently, Activision had a Zoom meeting today, whose details linked that said that Activision was planning on fighting the suit. They were gonna they were gonna fight. Um, and to be clear, it is specifically Activision, not Blizzard, in this. In this, you know. Yeah, I mean, the... there's there, there's some weird technical details here too. Um, uh, yeah. Loose contributes that they all read as disingenuous, which I, I like. It's it's hard to have, like it is disingenuous, right? Because like no one's yep. no one can no one on the Activision side can say how they really feel unless they they're already not at the company, which some have, right? Like, but yeah, I mean, I think the best statements have come from employees, right? Steve Denuser, the lead writer on the WoW team, wrote a, a just like three tweets that were. It was like, honestly, I read those tweets and I was just like, whoa, you know, somebody gets it, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, um, so, so Jeff Hamilton, a senior dev on the WoW team, also uh, wrote a whole thread about, you know, kind of, he, he, you know, one of the things about Blizzard, which is interesting, is uh, every Blizzard employee has like, the opinions here are not the opinions of my employer, which is sort of a double edged sword, because then they all said, I, the, you know, Fran Townsend does not speak for me. These are my opinions. And then like, went off about, whatever else yeah i mean uh, which then got really stupidly interpreted by the wow community that made me want to pull my hair out i mean the the the, the kind of truth here right like it's like they are free to speak their minds in a way because i don't think activision is going to fire them in the wave of this because that would look worse right like that's like a much, yeah. much more of a pr marketing disaster um uh i think like so the the kind of like as i understand it the big kind of like legal blocks here which like if either activision settles it's going to be unsatisfactory because we're not going to have any sort of like insight into like how much was true how much wasn't um the other thing that could happen is it could be like i'm going to call the technicality but so the way this is supposed to work as i understand it is the board is supposed to bring it to activision's attention and give activision a chance to rectify it um okay. and uh that may have happened or like that happened in a way that like Activision disagreed with the board as to like how well that they had dealt with the problem, um, yeah. but the board the board has a limited period of time to act on that, and it's like two years, and it's been three, but Activision may have waived their right to it, but Activision may may claim that they waived that right under duress, right? Like eat like you know if essentially the board comes to them and says either waive this right or we're coming after you, right? Like that's a problem legally right and so if any of that gets resolved in that kind of sphere we're like you know you know this gets dismissed on the fact that the board didn't behave right that's also going to be unsatisfactory because yeah. we're also we're not going to get like the kind of investigation i think i think where the the much more gray version of this comes in is like you know you know the labor board brings it to activision's attention and activision reacts in a way that like you know a person might view as reason like you know let's let's say in fantasy like you know i'm not saying this is what happened but like let's say theoretically sure. um the, the labor board brings to the attention of activision blizzard that they've gotten several complaints from female employees about this kind of behavior and activision's like oh my gosh we must have failed in somewhere in hr we're going to address this immediately and then they do but they don't do it as much as say the board wants or like in a way that like you know the board also wants them to like 
hire somebody to come in and do something like, no, we don't need that. We've handled this, right? Like, like there's like some debatability in there as to whether or not Activision has handled it. And this is like where like, you know, how much do you hold Activision to account for like things that happen, but they've acted to, to address versus like how much of it is still going on? How much of it is still going on despite Activision's best efforts? How much more yeah. should they like, like that's, that's where all like the details, I think where the real substance of the issue comes out. Um, but we won't know about that for a yeah, long time. And I think part of the issue is that Activision already has a really shitty reputation in the first place. Yeah. Like, something something that, to be honest, I noted this and I thought it was incredibly disheartening. I thought Mike Morheim and Chris Metzen, who are two guys I liked a lot and I would otherwise hold in very high regard, right? Um, I think their statement sucked. And I was like, wow, well, at least it, you know... Part of the frustration is that as the details come out, right, it's pretty clear that most of this seems to be, like, quote-unquote, old Blizzard, right? Like, a lot of this was happening in, before 2018, Mike Morheim steps down, J. Allen Bragg becomes Blizzard president or whatever, right? So, it and it, and it happens in the big executive sphere or whatever, right? Um, and so... It just it just felt very strange to have Mike Morheim and Chris Messing go like, oh, I didn't I didn't know I had no how could no and that's why I was like these suck no I I, I hate these statements I, and um I, I'm, uh, I'm 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 I was I was saying okay you you yeah yeah are you gonna disagree with me just a little bit right like because I I'm much okay. more willing to see this as kind of like between a rock and a hard place right like I one they both probably have a lot of stock in the company still right like and sure. um and two like. I would not be surprised if they got some sort of non-disparagement agreement, right? Like, how much can they say, right? Like, how much... Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, like, Chris Metzen still voices Thrall, right? Like, you know, how much... Uh, actually doesn't, but okay. Oh, never mind then. They replace him as a voice. Like, they, they just found another voice actor. Okay. That, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think I think if Chris... If they wanted him to stay on and keep voicing Thrall, he would, but my understanding is that they picked somebody else up. Okay. I mean, that, so my, my, my bigger thought is that it's probably a non-disparagement clause, right? Like... Okay. Um, and also, I mean, and the other half of that is, like, you know, potentially to blame them, right? Like, um, may, like you know, part of it, too, is, like, if they have a lot of stock in the company, they're not going to say anything because they don't want to hurt their own fortunes, which is, you know, to your yeah. point, a shitty thing to do, but, like, you know, also, like, a very human reaction. Um, but, you know, it's also hard, it's, it's hard to tell these things from the outside, right? Like, it, Yeah. I mean, part of it, part of what I find frustrating is that it's all very wishy-washy, Honestly, on both sides, right? Like, something that frustrates me about the way that a lot of players have reacted to this is that um, they're doing this thing of sort of the performative boycott of, well, that clinches it. I'm going to delete all my characters. I'm going to delete all my gold. I'm never scorched earth, right? But it's like, okay, I understand the impulse, but that's kind of the logically incorrect approach to take, right? Because... If you sort of tell Activision there's no way to get me back as a customer, you've lost me forever, you're not really providing the incentive for change that you're theoretically looking for, right? Wouldn't it make more sense to sort of say, hey, I'm willing to come back if you fix this. Here are whatever reasonable sort of things, right? Yeah. And I was also hoping to hear some form of that, right? Like, th they did this in the Blitzchung thing, right? Blitzchung happened, everybody freaked out, and Blizzard immediately, or not immediately, it was like a week and a half later, they were like, okay, you know what? We think the the core fundamental principle is correct. It is not appropriate to voice, you know, your political opinions during a Hearthstone esports broadcast. He deserved to be punished, but the punishment was too long. We're going to shorten it by six months. We're going to do this. We're going to make it right by, you know, we're going to restore his winnings. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah, all this other stuff, right? You know, like, where it's like, okay, here's some very clear terms. And I remember at the time, I, that's what I said. I was like, I 
I don't. I also don't think that Hearthstone should be a political arena, right? But I do think that they went too far, and they should restore his money. So it's like here I have set a, a set of conditions that Blizzard can now meet to sort of get me back on board, right? right? I mean. So, so canceling everything makes sense if your goal is to drive Activision Blizzard into the ground so that it no longer exists, which yeah. – and there's, like, a flavor of person who wants that, right? Like, you know, that, like, mm-hmm. it's become too bloated to, like, even make good games anymore, right? Which, you know – but, you know, um, I, I think I largely agree with you that this is, like, people who in six months are going to be, like, is there any way for me to restore my deleted characters, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what I'm that, – that's exactly what I'm hoping for, right? I just want to see – Oh my god. This <laughs> is posting some spicy stuff in the chat. Our fr- uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just feel like I want to see something concrete. Because that's the thing that's bothered me about a lot of this situation. You know, the top level stuff. Like, if I am J. Allen Brack, I don't want to talk about. Dude, Gloria Stein, what the fuck? Tell me specific. You know, what do you want to do, right? You are the president of the fucking company. Surely you have some idea for how to go, you know what, I'm doing this, doing that, we're making sure this is happening, we're X, Y, and Z, right, you know, all this sort of stuff. Part of the other frustrating piece of this, and the part that has been the weirdest for me to deal with on a personal level, is that most of the people who have been named or outed or whatever, of which I'm not going to name anybody on the podcast, because I think that's a little bit weird and unethical, um, they have all, they're all not at the company anymore. They haven't been at the company for a while, and it's like... How do you hold Blizzard accountable for someone who left or resigned or got, you know, like, we don't know the details or whatever, right? But, like, is, if in 2014 this thing happened that we would all say is bad and the person left in 2016, what does canceling my subscription in 2020 do, really? That I also find an intensely difficult and complicated question to sort of square right yeah like am i punishing blizzard because i was no i was unknowingly complicit when i paid them in 2014 for whatever expansion was out at the time or whatever i i I don't know that's a really complicated kind of moral quandary yeah i I think there's a couple things there like one so the thing the, the biggest problem i think i have personally with the lawsuit is they do name a couple of people but not as defendants just as like examples um, yeah. And, like, they have, like, John Doe as defendants to be named later when they figure out who they're actually supposed to blame. And, like, bringing them as, like, examples without, like, giving them a chance to defend themselves in court, like, that doesn't sit right with me as kind of like a, just like from like a, you know, what I think the purpose of the legal system is type type of deal. Um, yep. And then I think, I think the biggest problem with, say, like, J. Allen Brack right now is that if Activision actually wants to fight this, J. Allen Brack can't admit anything. Right. Like if he if he yeah. says we're going to do some stuff to make sure this doesn't happen, that's basically an admission of guilt. Right. Like even if you yeah. take steps to ameliorate it, that can be brought up as, a, you know, and that sucks. But like that's also kind of like like I don't know what the, the corporate structure of Activision Blizzard is. Um, and I stopped taking interest. Like I when the Bushung thing happened, the, the biggest thing I did was I sold all my shares of Activision Blizzard because I thought that that was like that's like. A bomb I didn't want to deal with, right? Like, hey, sure. maybe that was a good. I didn't actually check what the stock price on it did, but um, <laughs> um, but uh, um, the, but like, how like Jalen Brack is the president of Blizzard, right? But like, mm-hmm. Activision's like the controlling partner here, right? Like, he's he, who yep. he Bobby Codex, the, the he is, yeah, Bobby Codex, the guy who's in charge, right? So like, you know, who's how, like, is is the right thing for him to like give up his job right like so that he can like speak his mind like maybe right like i like you know 
And like, maybe it's like, and how much do you fault him for not doing it? Right. Like, you know, maybe the best thing for him to do would be to give up his job and like, you know, you know, and, you know, speak his, speak his mind and like, you know, go find another job elsewhere or something. But like, yeah, I mean, the worst part of this is it also came right up alongside the Warcraft three reforged news or whatever like uh jason try had been working on one of his investigations into why warcraft 3 reforged suck and basically the answer was activision pressured them to cut costs and push out you know push out this game be and you just kind of like get it out the door and something that trier said is is like it's like the first flop of blizzard's whole career right which is a nuts thing to think about but is pretty technically true you know, like even stuff that we we remember in hindsight as being worse, right? Like we might all agree that Warlords of Draenor is a bad expansion. Warlords sold like gangbusters, kind of like every other Warcraft expansion, right? Um, and an, imagine a world where JL and Brack gets pushed out of Blizzard. Is this a world where Activision now takes even more, you know, like exerts even more control or whatever? I mean, all this stuff. On, on the other hand, right? Like if the allegations are to be believed. That might be the right, the right like Activision's, uh, you know, a very corporate entity, but a very corporate yeah. entity will have a very strict HR that won't let this shit happen, right? Like as as you pointed out, a lot of this stuff is old Blizzard stuff, right? It's well to be so okay. So I have two things on that. One, I do think that's somewhat true, but I do think that at the end of the day, Activision, at least everyone I have ever known, like I said, I think I think this is just endemic in at the very least. Southern California's game development sphere, right? right? But, and I think that's borne out, right? We've seen it with Riot. We've seen it with Riot like four times now. We've seen it with, and the guy still works there. We've seen it with uh, Insomniac, right? Which is up in which is up in Burbank. I mean, like you just list a gazillion of these, right? Yeah. Um. So I don't think I, it, and that's something else that I think is a little bit unclear, right? Like how much of this stuff is Blizzard, World of Warcraft, you know, how much of it is Hearthstone, how much of it is any of these Call of Duty studios, right? Like, Activision owns a ton of this shit, right? And these are all based in Blizzard as well, right? Yeah, like, I mean... I'm sorry, based in LA as well. So, I, I I understand what you're saying, but, like, I think the unfortunate truth is that, like, a lot of this is gets solved by, like, a big corporate entity not not saying no more fun, right? Like, like I can, yeah. I can tell you from, like, where I've been, um, uh, moving from small companies to big corporate entities, like... There's less opportunity for this stuff when you've got when HR has a much more iron grip on things, right? Like, uh, which sucks, yeah. but like because there's a very similar story to be told about the about Silicon Valley, which is where I was for a while, and like very similarly, the companies I worked for, like you know, one of them very proudly had beers on tap, like the other one had a fridge full of beer. Um, oh man, yeah. I mean, I I'm very frustrated by a lot of. Okay, I don't want to be too specific here. There's there's a, there's a lot of folks. Who are who are doing this thing where they're like, I'm gonna go play, insert any other game here, right? Because it's not evil, like Activision Blizzard is or whatever. And I just, you know, I'm sorry to say, I've it's not my experience. I don't know that I, it, you know, it's funny. These war stories tend to be funny. Like you tell them conversationally, right? Like, oh yeah, when I was at here and here, right. 
they are like this happened and it was crazy and oh this person was sleeping with their secretary and then the secretary sued and then you know like all that yeah, yeah those stories are so fucking common everybody has them and they, and they have them for everywhere right they have them for companies that nobody even cares about right like nexon right you know which is like a an asian mmo company also has offices in la and also cross-pollinates with any all of these other studios and so you're hearing about shit at like nexon even though nobody on twitter knows or cares about nexon i feel like a lot of this to wrap this around i feel like a lot of this is because blizzard is a lot of people's dream studio yeah. right you're seeing a lot of these like oh my dream job was to work at blizzard now it's, now it's, it's like, terrible it's like paris syndrome for like gamers <laughs> It really, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's like a parasocial relationship with a game studio, like, almost, right? There's this idea that, oh, if I was working on Blizzard on the original WoW team, it would have been all fun all the time. Like, listen, I know people who worked on the original WoW team. It's a job, right? Like, I, I, I in a certain sense, I almost want to say there are no dream jobs, right? Like, you know, every, any job that you're ever doing is going to have stupid bullshit that you're going to have to you know, that you're going to have to put up with. It's going to have coworkers that you don't like. It's going to have managers that are bad. You know, like one of the stories that's running around on Twitter of, you know, and it is a legitimate story that I think accurately identifies a manager who is bad at his job and quite profoundly so, right? But that's... Life? That's everywhere. That's life. You know what I mean? And that's a complicated thing to, to, you know, where do you split a hair and say, this is, you know, I don't know, this is a bad manager and you can have a bad manager working at the fucking gap in the mall, right? And this is systemic sexual harassment, right? You know? Yeah. I don't know, but. No, no, I mean, you're, what's, what's, what's the, uh, there's a joke that goes something like, you know, you hate your job, there's a support group for that. It's called the bar and everybody goes after work, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh. But yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it's 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 tough, right? Like, and you know, hey, you know, like I said, we'll see where it goes in three months. I will be intrigued if Blizzard actually, or like if Activision actually fights this out. Um, uh, see what comes out in a, uh, in 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 a, uh, in in Discovery, right? Because like, that'll be, that'll be nasty, right? Because like, th- that would be insane. They would have to show all of their records in public documents, right? Uh, and can you seal that stuff? You can know. seal some of it if it's got like trade. Like, uh, so, so the big thing that happened. I'm not a lawyer, right? Like, I, I don't sure. think anybody like, from Blizzard is watching this. It surely isn't taking legal advice from me. But uh, I know from like the Fortnite Apple stuff, like there's stuff that's supposed to stay under seal because it contains like trade secrets and business secrets. But a lot of that leaked, right? Like that that was a big thing that like it wasn't super well secured, and uh, a lot of it went public. Um, and also there were, there was some other stuff there, but like, um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I'm thinking, right? Like imagine a world where I can get my hands, maybe I don't get names, right. But I get my hands on like the payroll documents from Blizzard, you know, and I can see numbers for what they're paying people and everything like that. Like, I, oh my God, if I would be, have such a gigantic boner if I worked at Kotaku. I, right? I, I think, the, I think the even like the, the easier version of this too, right. Is like, um. I, I've, it's it's called like sometimes called like the um, uh, like the like the, the like the billion person syndrome. Or it's like the Chinese doctor syndrome or something. It's essentially, if you give a good enough large enough population, right? Like China has like a billion people in it, right? Yeah. I can find you, you know, you know, 
an inordinate number of anecdotes about, say, Chinese doctors behaving badly. This doesn't say anything about Chinese doctors. It just says, like, you know, I can leave you 20 anecdotes, right? And I'll be list them and be like, wow, Chinese doctors must be terrible. No, there's just a lot of Chinese doctors, right? Like, yeah. um, similarly for a company of this size, I'm sure there are several, there, there are a large number of sexual harassment complaints, and maybe they were all dealt with, but if you're just processing them as anecdotes, like, we, we as humans don't process scale well. Right. Like any yeah, large company is going to have a, a lot of things that might have been all dealt with properly. I'm not saying they are, but they, like th there's a theoretical world where like things were dealt with properly and it's, they still end up looking bad because, you know, there's a number. There's enough of them out there, enough of these uh, things out there. Uh, well, we've gone over complicated. Yeah, that's all I know. We've gone over by 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it should have been the episode, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, 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 I said to myself earlier today, I was like, "Are we going to talk about this?" It's like, ah, uh, I don't want to take that long. <laughs> how can we not? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to email us about what you thought about Inside or you know the Blizzard <laughs> sexual harassment drama, you can email us at subversiveplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversiveplaygames.com. Uh, we've, uh, you can watch us at twitch.tv slash subversiveplaygames. These go out live. You can. Uh, follow us on YouTube, uh, rate and review us on the podcast uh, podcast services. Uh, we've got a million different ways to engage, which is the other inside reference I wanted to get in here. Uh, uh, and uh, But uh, that's everything I think I have. Buddy, you have anything you want to promote? I do have one thing I want to promote. Number one, Grime releases next week, August 2nd, Monday, August 2nd. Grime is, is coming out. I'm going to be doing a live stream. I'm going to be doing a big... Not a big stream, but a more or less all-day stream of Buddy Gets Good Grime. We're gonna see how far we can. We're gonna see how far we can go. Last last Friday, we started by doing the demo because the demo is the first level or whatever. So does progress save gonna, between the two? Ah, uh, you know, I don't actually know the answer to that. Mostly because I was not playing the actual demo. I was playing the full game, but just playing the first level. Okay. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so I'm gonna be doing. Uh, so I'm gonna be doing an all-day stream next week. I'm pretty sure I'm also gonna be doing AMA with the devs. Um, kind of like early in the morning. Um, so that's big news. Other big news is we released a cinematic trailer today, and I recorded an Akupara podcast about that um, with the creative lead of PlaySense, who are like a like a trailer house, like a cinematic trailer house. So imagine the cinematic trailers that play in front of like a WoW expansion, StarCraft, uh, Final Fantasy XIV, any of those kinds of like cinematic trailers that aren't, or, you know, Total War, Warhammer 2, right? Like any of those that aren't in, in engine but are you know, fully rendered or whatever. They they were insanely cool. Um, and Alex sat down with me for 30 minutes and I chatted with him about what it was like to kind of like go piece to piece and make a trailer of that fidelity, um, which was which was sweet. So you can go find both of those. Uh, well, you can find the, the podcast and the trailer now. They are, uh, the, the trailer's on IGN and the podcast is on uh, the Akupara YouTube channel. And next week you can find actually for real grime this time for real it's coming out i'm, second, I'm excited you know it's it's uh it seems like something that i'm excited for you to play it this might be the best game like akupara game that i'm like this would be this is a good game for like mango to play yeah you know? i mean i'm i i i wait within that's why i wanted to know if if, if progress transferred between the two because like maybe i'd play the demo this week or maybe i just wait yeah i don't know the, i don't know the answer the answer is you know maybe um <laughs> but i don't know offhand. yeah no, I'll, i'm sure it's on the page if it does um so, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, with that, I'm going to say uh, until next time, your listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.